Hi listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. Nine-year-old Micaela Garrett went to the market with her best friend in Hayward, California, near Oakland. But that would be the last time anyone would see her again. This is the story of the disappearance of Micaela Garrett. On November 19, 1988, at around 10 a.m., Micaela and her friend rode their scooters to the Rainbow Market in Mission Boulevard in Hayward, California. The store was two blocks from her home, and upon arriving at the store, the two girls placed the scooters next to the entrance. They walked into the store and bought some candy. When they walked outside, the girls seemed to have forgotten all about the scooters and the two friends started to walk back home. When all of a sudden they realized that they had forgotten their scooters, the girls walked back to the store. But upon arriving back at the store, they noticed that one of the scooters was missing. While looking around for the scooter, Mikaela spotted a scooter that was further down in the market parking lot where it had been placed near a parked car. When Micaela bent down to pick up the scooter by the handlebars, an unidentified white male came out of the parked car, picked her up with his right arm around her waist, and put her into his car as she screamed. Her friend witnessed the abduction and she described it as, and I quote, I looked up when I heard a scream and I saw a man putting her in his car. She was still screaming. I just stood and watched frozen in shock, end quote. Which I can't imagine being Michaela's friend. I mean, can you just, just think about it, Jose? Imagine if you had seen that happen to one of your friends. I can't. That'd be terrifying. Right? Especially being, you know, a kid. Yeah. How, how awful. Like, literally, a guy just took her with one arm, snatched her up, and put her right. in his car. That's just a, a nine-year-old a girl. Yeah. An absolute nightmare. Yeah. It's so funny, because when I was growing up, my dad used to always make sure that I wouldn't walk too close to cars. And I mm-hmm. just thought it was because I was, like, a rambunctious little girl. And I thought that, like, it was because I would, like, hit a car or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but now, as a mom, now I understand, right? It was, like, when I was little, I didn't really think about this stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got in my teens that I even remember one of my friends telling me that this happened to her in Mexico. Like, You're her kidding. and her family went to Mexico. And she was walking just a little bit ahead of her parents. Mm-hmm. And... She walked a little too close to a parked van and they tried to take her. What? Yeah. She happened to like jump to the side. Mm-hmm. They didn't get a chance to like snatch her because she jumped. And then luckily her dad was right. Like they weren't that far. Right. Just behind. close enough to be able to. Yeah. And he luckily. yelled. So when he yelled, the van just Booked took it. off. Yeah. That's but crazy. I mean, he, yeah. It's just crazy how. You know, I feel like back in the 80s and 90s, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know it still happens now, but I feel like in a sense, I don't know why it was easier. I don't know if it was just because us children, we were more 
innocent. We didn't think about that. It made me. I mean, almost like you. It it was rare for you to hear of stuff like this happening. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know, but I mean, I I just I can't imagine being that friend. Yeah, no, it's that that must have been just scarring because yeah. she's frozen, like, and then right. feeling guilt, like, because you couldn't do anything, but. You're only there's nine nothing years you can old. Do. Yeah, yeah, there's absolutely nothing you can do. After witnessing her friend being taken, Micaela's friend runs back into the store to get help. She finds a female clerk and she tells her to please call 911 to report the abduction. All while Micaela's abductor is escaping. What you got there, Jose? I just opened an ice cold beer from Beer the Month Club. Treat yourself or someone special to great beers month after month by joining the Craft Beer of the Month Club. Each monthly shipment contains a 12-pack with four different types of rare craft beer, hand-selected from small American craft breweries. We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show, click on the Craft Beer of the Month Club link and sign up, we will earn commission. Stay home and keep cool with an ice-cold beer. Cheers, Jose. If you're a local San Diego listener and are looking for a dog trainer, do what I did when I got my dream dog, Cosmo. I contacted Xavier the Dog Saver after I read that he was a behavioral development specialist with over 14 years of experience. I like that his mission is to help humans connect and communicate with their pets, to lower the possibility of your pet ever seeing the inside of a dog pound, a shelter, or maybe even worse. I have to tell you guys, my new puppy is an old English sheepdog and he is hard-headed. I didn't think that I would be able to find someone to help me, but then when I contacted a saver, he came along and let me just tell you guys, he works with all dogs of all breeds and sizes and ages and he has not met a dog that he hasn't been able to effectively train. Contact Xavier via phone call or text at 619-799-7114 and use promo code COSMO and Xavier will hook you up. At the time of the kidnapping, Michaela was wearing a t-shirt with the word Metro on the front, rolled up denim jeans, black Mary Jane shoes, and pearl colored feathered shaped earrings. Okay. The female clerk who called 911 had described the man who allegedly abducted her as hippie-like in appearance. Mm -hmm. However, it was later revealed that the clerk had given an incorrect description of the man and had inadvertently mistaken him for someone else she had seen driving in the parking lot. Oh, no. Yeah, so the clerk described the man in his 30s with a mustache driving a burgundy-colored car. Mm-hmm. A false description, which was erroneously distributed in the media for nearly two days following Mikaela's abduction. Which, Jose, you know, we've done several of these stories. And, you know, the most crucial time is the first... 24 to 48 hours absolutely so i mean that you're already losing the most crucial time right it. especially with giving the wrong information to the right. dispatcher you know it just who knows if that could have made a, a difference but that had to have been a big factor in this case so Mikaela's friend was the only witness to the abduction and she described Mikaela's captor as a white male in his 20s the most distinct 
distinguishing characteristic was that he seemed to have severe acne on his face. He had shoulder length, dirty blonde hair. He was about six feet tall and had slender build. The friend described him as having fox-like blue eyes and wearing a white t-shirt. According to Mikaela's friend, the abductor drove a large, older model American-made sedan. So it was possibly a four-door vehicle and was either cream or tannish gold in color. The car may have had cement splatters on the sides and lights set into the rear bumper. The front bumper was battered. The vehicle had appeared run down and it may have previously been in an accident. So that was all the description that Mikaela's friend gave, which, you know, that's amazing because I don't know in a situation like that, that I would have been paying attention to that much detail. Yeah. Not nine years old. Right. Like, there's no way. I don't know. I mean, so that's, I, I mean, that's really good that, you know, she was able to give all that information to police officers. So the car was last seen speeding south on Mission Boulevard towards nearby Union City, California, with Mikaela inside. Mikaela's kidnapping led to one of the most extensive police investigations by the Hayward Police Department, and they received 5,000 tips in the first year alone. And in the days following Mikaela's abduction, police and the FBI searched hillsides, parks, and unpopulated areas in Southern Alameda County by helicopter and airplane. And forensic inspection of Mikaela's scooter showed fingerprints from an unknown source, which law enforcement believe may have belonged to Mikaela's abductor. I mean, yeah, maybe he actually moved it on purpose. Right. right. Well, clearly, because the scooter, remember, it wasn't near the entrance where they had left the scooters. Mm -hmm. So clearly, somebody must have seen them go inside and they had they had had moved right right next to the car, you know, to lure them. Right. The case is still open today, but. Hopefully, I mean, if they're saying that, you know, there was fingerprints that were an unknown source, hopefully now with the technology we have, maybe that can help solve the case. Mm -hmm. But on November 30th, San Francisco 49ers quarterback Joe Montana made a public plea for the safe return of Mikaela. The majority of the tips submitted occurred within the first month of Mikaela's abduction, as it was reported by the, by the San Francisco Examiner that approximately 4,000 tips had been received by late December of 1988. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. So in this December report, an officer from the Hayward Police Department commented, and I quote, The only way we are closer to finding out what happened is that we have eliminated so many leads in this case but as far as knowing who did it or why or what happened to her we're not close end quote a reward of over seventy thousand dollars was posted for anyone who could provide information on Michaela's whereabouts at the time of the kidnapping Michaela's photo was featured as a missing child on milk cartons and billboards nationally and thousands of flyers and posters were spread throughout the community and within a day of her disappearance family and volunteers had distributed 42,000 missing person flyers which is amazing it is i mean that's a lot yeah 
So in December of 1992, a false lead was produced in Michaela's case. A prison inmate in Indiana named Roger Haggard claimed to have buried Michaela's body in the Hunter Point area of San Francisco. But upon further inquiry, Roger ultimately claimed that he buried Michaela in a gladiolus field, which I had to look it up to see what that was, but apparently it's a type of flower. Oh, okay. And I'm going to try to describe it to you, but it's like the best way I can describe it to you is what you would see in a funeral. Those flowers that are kind of like it's a long stem and they're like like down like in a row oh okay do you know i I don't know why i know in my family being catholic and mexican (laughs) i would only i would only see those flowers yeah during a funeral during funerals it almost kind of like the like a brussels sprout when it's on the right right, yes flowers yes perfect yeah so Roger had alternately claimed that he had buried her in that gladiolus field in union city Okay. Okay. Specific. Yeah. So Roger was flown to San Francisco to recover Michaela's body. But after eight hours of inspecting the alleged field, he admitted he had invented the story, resulting in an additional six and a half years being added to his pre-existing sentence, which is a good thing. Because how frustrating is that? I don't get it. Like, how did they even find this stuff out? This dude was in, obviously, in prison. Uh I mean, naturally, this was years later, but, like, how did they they even come about this? Well, I mean, he was in prison, but obviously, they still have access to TV and newspaper articles. So, and remember, her face was all over the news internationally. Yeah, that is true. So, it was was pretty well known. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm all for this, for when... You know, I feel like there's a lot of cases, which I don't understand why. But, you know, there's a lot of people in prison that like to taunt with police officers and, you know, victim families where they'll they'll confess to a murder. And then, I I, I mean, I don't know what's the motive other than, I don't know, to get pleasure out of the the family suffering. Yeah, or just get him out of jail. I mean, he got a trip to... Yeah, to San Francisco. Yeah. So I'm all for, yes, add some more time to their prison time. You know, like, thanks for wasting our time. Yeah, that's true. You never really hear about that. I yeah. mean, maybe it does happen, but I mean, from like other yeah, type it's of situations, true. I don't know if it actually does occur that way. Yeah. So I was, I was very happy to even had read about that because I was just like, that's something I've always wondered, you know, like, yeah. do they get away with, with that just, you know, scot-free? Like, yeah. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. So, by 1994, police had followed up on more than 15,000 leads. More than three decades later, the investigation at the Hayward Police Station continues. And Chief Investigator Inspector Robert Lampkin declared, and I quote, We'll go anywhere, any corner of the earth, to try and bring Mikaela home. End quote. Which, I mean, that quote in itself is amazing because... That's how I feel whenever I read about, you know, kidnapping, especially now as a mom. That's exactly how I feel. You know, a lot of the times cases like this, they go cold. And for me, it's like, you know, I'll volunteer my time. You know, I'll go anywhere just to bring families some closure, you know, to bring that family member home, even if unfortunately they might not be alive. Yeah. 
Because I know that's what I would want if it was one of my kids. You know, I would want that. It's like I at some point it would be, you know, obviously I might know that they might not be alive, but I want them back home. Yeah, coming to that realization has got to be very, very hard. Yeah, it has right? to be very tough. And, you know, I would... That's, yeah, and that's what I would want. I would want a team that would that I would feel supported by. So him saying that, I mean, I'm sure that probably meant everything to them. You know, I can't speak for them, but I know that's how I would feel. Yeah. So... Two men have been named as possible suspects in Mikaela's case. Authorities had announced that they had a possible connection to the disappearance of Mikaela, as well as disappearances of Eileen Micheloff, Tara Cozy, and Amanda Nikki Campbell. But this suspect maintains his innocence and successfully sued Amanda's hometown of Fairfield, California in 1997, for defamation of character. So I'm not going to mention this person's name since he hasn't been charged with Michaela's disappearance, but you know, he was a suspect. He was a possible suspect. Um, so I just want to respect that. And I'm not going to mention his name. So this person got the authorities attention after he began sending birthday greetings to young girls in the East Bay area. One child's parent contacted authorities and handed over a letter that the suspect had written to their daughter. Okay, so the note was printed backwards and could only be deciphered by holding it up to a mirror. That is weird. Isn't it? So the suspect claimed he sent the cards as a kind gesture because the girls were lonely. Which, that is even weirder. I'm sorry. It's my kid. How the hell do you know if my child is lonely or not? Right. You know? Well, it's really disturbing. Yeah. So for many years, this suspect was also considered a suspect in 1988 when it came to the disappearance of Amber Schwartz Garcia from Pinal, California. The suspect had approached many of the mothers of missing girls from the East Bay area, offering his assistance, including Amber and Michaela's families, okay? So, investigators asked Amber's mother to maintain a friendship with the suspect in hopes of learning if he was connected to any of the girls' cases. Yeah, that's really weird. He's Isn't so it? involved. and Right. Like, why are you so where's involved? Where's this guy coming from? And I also, can you imagine being Amber's mother? Because obviously her daughter is missing. He's the suspect and she knows that he's a possible suspect. Right. But she has to keep this cordial, you know, relationship with him. Yeah. Which I, I'm sure it must have been really hard. Yeah, that has to be very challenging. Imagine. Yeah. So, authorities said that the suspect appeared to be playing mind games with victims' loved ones. Many people theorize that this suspect enjoyed taunting families into thinking that he may have been involved in the presumed abductions. And he was once arrested for annoying two little girls whom he was trying to lure into his van. But the charges were later dropped. The suspect often drove around in a light blue Dodge van with a license plate that said, Love you. Are you kidding? Nope. What? L-O-B-U. 
I'm not talking to you, Jose. I'm just reading. <laughs> that is bizarre. Right? Like, oh my God. Yeah, you're definitely guilty. So the inside of the van was wallpapered with many pictures of children. What? Yes. So if you think that's weird, get this. This suspect asked a reporter from the San Jose Mercury News to interview him in Oakmont Cemetery at 4.30 in the morning. Why so early? <laughs> and in a you're cemetery. A what do you say? Uh, how about 9.30? How about 3.15? How about <laughs> at a coffee shop and not right? a cemetery? I know. So he played his favorite song for the um, reporter on his car stereo, which was Jesus, Here's Another Child to Hold. What? I'm telling you. This guy is just creepy. So the suspect told the reporter that he thought of the missing girls as his children. The reporter asked him how he believed the abductions had occurred. And he said one child was submissive, but another fought back against her assailant. And how would he know this? Well, okay. The suspect made sure to say that he was just guessing about the girl's reactions. So this same suspect, by the way, wrote a letter to law enforcement agency in the late 1980s, stating that he believed the next girl who would be abducted from the area would mm -hmm. be nine years old. So let me just remind you, Micaela disappeared shortly thereafter, and she was nine at the time of her abduction. Wow, that's just like too crazy of a coincidence. Like right? all of this. This guy, I mean, I like this guy as the suspect. Like, how do you know one? I don't know. It just seemed like he had a lot of. I mean, this guy information just doesn't seem like he should be out. Oh, he should not. Period. Be out. Yeah, he should not be out. Like, even if he wasn't involved, it's mm -hmm. just a matter of time. It seems yes. like. Right. The suspect also sent a holiday card to a profiler for the FBI in 1990, by the way. The card depicted an image of a young girl holding up four fingers. Amanda vanished in 1991 at the age of four. Authorities never had enough evidence to prove that this suspect was connected to their cases, and he has never been charged in any of the cases, even though there's all this. That is, I, I'm That's speechless. That's devastating. I'm I know. Speechless. I know. It's so frustrating, right? So let me tell you about another possible suspect. This person's name is James DeVacio. He and his former girlfriend, Michelle Lynn Mashad, were charged with the 1987 abduction, rape, and murder of Vanessa Lee Swanson. They were also charged with additional counts of sexual assault in unrelated cases in the mid-1990s. And in 2002, Michelle Lynn and James were convicted of Vanessa Lee Swanson's murder and sentenced to death and are currently awaiting execution. So he's been considered as a possible suspect, but mm -hmm. they haven't been able to verify it or rule him out, okay? Is it because they were in the same area, or what is it? Yeah. Okay. So then... The so-called speed freak killers, Wesley Howard, 
Shermantine Jr. and Lauren Joseph, her song surfaced as suspects in Michaela's abduction in 2012. They were a team of serial killers who were arrested in the 2000s and ultimately convicted of murdering several females between 1980s and 1990s. Authorities believe they had as many as 15 victims. Wow, speed freak killers. Mm -hmm. So Wesley is on death row and Lauren Joseph's sentence was reduced from 78 years to 14 years after the court ruled his confession had been coerced. He was paroled in 2010, but then took his own life in 2012 after he found out his former partner had begun cooperating with authorities and had offered to reveal the location of victim bodies in exchange for payment of $33,000. Wow. So Wesley led investigators to the skeletal remains of Chevelle Wheeler and Cindy Vanderheiden, who'd been missing since 1985 and 1998. He also pointed out an abandoned well in Linden, California that contained, get this, 300 human bones and personal items. What? Shermantine stated the well contained up to 20 victims, and he blames Lauren Joseph for all the murders and says he only helped with disposing of the bodies. Authorities are in the process of sorting out the contents of the well and attempting to identify the bones. Wesley and Lauren Joseph are being investigated in other missing persons cases. The skeletal remains of victims Kimberly Billy, a 19-year-old who disappeared in 1984, and Joanne Hobson, which was a 16-year-old who disappeared in 1985, were identified, and Wesley claimed Michaela's body was in the well also. But Michaela's remains weren't located there, and as of 2020, Michaela remains missing, and her case is still unsolved. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. Don't forget to support the show by going to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show. You can also follow us on Instagram at podcast true crime weekly. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening. <laughs>